0: Kyle, you know, whenever we record, we, of course, we we try to start with just some sort of rambling preamble so we can naturally transition into some sort of opening. And um, the reason I'm talking about that is because I want to expose that I'm not interested in that in this week because I'm having a a crisis of mind and heart, and I think I just need to get right into it. And so I'm going to push this on you, Kyle. Hi. Uh, i'm nick
1: and i'm kyle standing by for the truth
0: bombs and this is uh the big bang theory theory this is the show where uh we usually do everything we can to avoid talking about the television series the big bang theory which we have been watching on a bi-weekly basis episode by episode In a project that started as a joke and will span uh, more than a decade.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. One of my, I was watching this episode with one of my partners this morning and they said, um, they said, now wait, I just, I don't get it. Do you like this show or do you hate it? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I don't like it, but it's one of those things where it's been in my life long enough. It's basically, like, a toxic person that I live with, which is, like, I know they're not good for me, but I have no way to, eva- like, objectively evaluate, like, what this re- how this relationship Ooh. is damaging me. It's just all—it's way too close to me at this point.
0: Kyle, that layer actually, I think, adds to, to what I was going to say, which is that—so this isn't, like— a horrifying twist... Well, maybe it is. I'm just going to say... Kyle, I loved this episode today. Oh. And I don't just mean like I thought it was like a good Big Bang Theory episode. I was like, all the bullshit like that you have to know about these characters to appreciate this episode is baggage that no one deserves and that we have, <laughs> for some reason, yes, voluntarily taken on. Um, and so, is all that baggage worth this episode is this toxic relationship we've been in worth this one fun night out absolutely not no that would be insane but i really loved this episode
1: now just to be clear i want to make sure i watch the same episode as you not because i didn't like it i liked it too but i just want it would be really weird so this was the thanksgiving episode
0: yeah, it sure was kyle okay yeah and here's the other thing um you know Sometimes I smoke weed when I play video games or watch television. And I'm wondering...
1: That sometimes is doing a lot of work in that.
0: It certainly is. But the reason I bring this up is I'm like, there's a chance that, you know, my drug-addled brain just isn't thinking right. And I'm not being rational. But I don't know. Like, I mean, we'll we'll get into it. But uh, as as is a new tradition, let's start with the big bang fan wiki uh plot summary which is i think uh bizarrely short even for the summary uh and so for season seven episode nine officially titled the thanksgiving decoupling uh the summary states sheldon protests when the gang drags him to mrs Wallowitz's house for thanksgiving meanwhile leonard and penny must deal with penny's accidental marriage to zach johnson Accurate summary, yes, but oh, there's so much more. There's so much more, Kyle. Also, um, <clears throat> one thing that is just like, you know, like a behind the scenes goof almost is that, uh, the one disappointment, uh, that I have with this episode is that, so it is called the Thanksgiving decoupling, and because we're watching this on a streaming service, Uh, You get to see that title before you watch the episode. And so I did 100% expect the end of a real relationship. Um, And then when it turns out to be, you know, part of the goof of the plot, I was like, Son of a bitch! A bait-and-switch! But people who watched us at the time would have not seen that episode. There'd be no point for that joke title. It's like a bait-and-switch that was for nobody.
1: You're not, I don't think, you, I mean, when did this episode come out? Roughly, like, 20, I don't know, 20... What? 2013.
0: November 2013.
1: 21st. So, in 2013, I feel like we were well into the streaming era, but there were still people who watched this stuff on television, and yeah. by that point, when you pulled up, when you were, like, flipping through the, I still want to call it a TiVo. Even oh, though it's I yet, forgot.
0: Yeah, it's like, yeah, everything did already have those stupid... You know, they weren't, like, smart TVs yet, but they had the built-in menus that...
1: Yes, and when you were, like... You could look in advance at what episode... Like, basically, like, a digital TV guide. And it would definitely give you both the, the like, the title and a summary of the episode when you were, like, planning. Mostly, I think, so you could decide whether or not you were going to DV, DVR. That was the word I was looking for. Whether or not you were going to DVR it.
0: I, I, for whatever reason, I'm going to be honest, that is a whole generation of television technology i just skipped i just like
1: weren't you in like law school or something at the time
0: that would be no rationalization for it no like if it was uh no i just like didn't have like an actual tv for at least a decade and not because i was like i don't watch tv but i just stole all my shit on the internet that that was it for years and years and the thought of, of paying for media would, would gabber my flasts or flabber my ghasts, whichever. Gast my flabbers. That's, that's the appropriate phrase, I believe.
1: Yes, that's definitely how people say that.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, in any case, yeah, you're right. Okay, people would have seen that joke. And I have old man <laughs> syndrome in this case. So so it goes. But um,
1: I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to make you feel better about it, about the bait and switch.
0: Well, no, I mean, I mean, see you're doing a good job, but I'm saying the reason that I, for my own misunderstanding though, it okay, was that yeah. it was like, okay. yeah, back in the day, you just pushed the button and you hoped the next screen had something better than the last. <laughs> um, anyway, so as for the plot, you know, I I joke sometimes, of, well, like <laughs> once, twice, about this extended plot being, uh, having wh- a much higher word count than the actual script must, and this is certainly no exception. But I feel like I'm going to contribute that many words nonetheless to this piece of art. Because, Kyle, I feel like, again, is the bullshit worth it? Not at all. That it took us seven and a half years to get to this, like, one good episode is a crime. But I feel like every character is performing their character duty. Like, they are living up to their archetype. In a way that um is not necessarily just like self effacing or annoying, but that is somehow um interacting like with another character like and, like developing the relationship like in an, like a meaningful way, and it feels weird to say that about the big bang theory, but like I really feel like everyone was doing exactly what i kind of want from that character in every episode and they kind of just like put it all into one like this feels like the only real episode of this season that should <laughs> exist
1: <laughs> Yeah, in the sense that it's well written i get that that makes sense yeah because if you think well you've not but i'm basically just adding detail to what you were saying it's in this episode that basically the plot is they have thanksgiving together that's it that's all that really happens in this episode i mean i guess there's the there's the whole penny thing which we haven't even talked about yet but it's basically yeah it's a thanksgiving episode so they all have thanksgiving together but it's i think the first time all season that they've all actually they've literally all really been together um outside of like Mm -hmm. five seconds at the end of the episode for a gimmick like when they did the jokey bernadette song it's like they're all in this episode they're all interacting with each other at different ways in a new set
0: like in this house and you know probably not a real house but like a set that just doesn't i i that was like the first thing that was shocking to me is like they spent money on going somewhere whoa 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 but anywho
1: no that's a good i mean it's possible that uh I don't know. Maybe this, maybe it was like that set was built for a backdoor pilot or for like some other show, and it fell through, and so they're like, "Well, you can use this," I guess. But really, it's mm. more specifically, it feels like the first time like all of their schedules were just like synced up in such a way that they could actually really make an episode together, because cause I think we've been complaining a lot about just how little interaction there are between all the characters yeah. and how well, forced it.
0: The, yeah, there is like one recent episode where I remember complaining that. Penny's contributions was just like this weird handful of cutaways to her smiling and laughing, and I was like, "Yeah, this is, <laughs> this stinks. They are not, they are not working together." Or you know, you point that out at first. I was just like, "I don't understand the mystery," but yeah, I think that is the 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 very real conclusion. Um, and you know, I'm kind of like trying to skim through the trivia here real quick, but I don't I don't see it necessarily. Uh, I suspect too that. They may have put more effort into this one because it is the seventh year of a very popular sitcom and it is the big Thanksgiving episode. And so, like,
1: yeah, that makes uh,
0: sense.
1: I think that's exactly right.
0: It says ranked number one for that week, but I don't know number one in what. Oh, last sweeps month's episode. So, yeah, I think they were really trying to go above and beyond. But anywho, yeah, so they they are all together, and like something that I really liked, and you know, was had some jokes written into it, but they, it was um initially they are all going over to yeah Walowitz's mom's because uh, Bernadette uh, is coming over, and so is her dad, you know, the mean cop, and so Walowitz is like, please God, friends, you have to come at least just to be a buffer for me because. I can't handle Cop Dad alone. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, you know, that... Well, actually, not everyone. Sheldon specifically is like... Uh, in... Oh, God, I hate to say it. This is one of those moments where I did actually totally relate to Sheldon. <laughs> where he's like, my social graces have told me that it's inappropriate to outright reject an invitation. So instead, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to make it because that sounds horrible. And I was like, yeah, no, that's... <laughs> That's probably what I would say. God damn it, I hate that we have this connection, Sheldon, but yes. And uh but for some reason, I don't even remember, maybe you caught it, Kyle. I think it's like Leonard and Penny are like, oh no, sounds cool, let's do it. And, I'm, and everyone immediately turns around, and so Sheldon gives in. And um one of the jokes I ended up liking, which at first was I thought <laughs> I thought it was a real sour note, was um Sheldon's protests throughout uh but from the get-go start with him comparing himself to to the plight of the african slaves and you want to know what uh amy and i don't know is this lampshading i'm never sure if that's the right term but Amy is one of those
1: things they do where it's like they're they want to make the most inappropriate joke but also they want to acknowledge that like we don't know how this shit is going to age so we better have at least some yes we're that's going it. to push that's back. Exactly it's it. like we want credit for both making this awful joke and also being aware that it's kind of an awful joke to make
0: well and so amy yeah serves that role and is like sheldon you cannot possibly be making that comparison and you know he's like no i am and you know the first time he does it i'm like eh, that's kind of shitty but for whatever reason his commitment to it to me is one of those like Sheldon-like characteristics where he's like I understand the inappropriateness of this and yet it for me is the only comparison I can make it's like your your stick to while obnoxious is to me a Sheldon trait and I appreciate that much at least well, that's, that's it Okay.
1: interesting because i was going to say the which is for me it's good for it drops at just the right moment meaning they transition sheldon to doing something else once he actually gets to the house and that felt like good timing because it was yes. fine it wasn't a bad joke but if they had if they had done it one more beat I, I would have been like nope too much
0: yeah i don't know where it would have had to go but um i think you're right about that too that it's you know i think it's like a three yeah a a, a string of three and then they let it go but so yeah they do get to the house and uh walowitz and bernadette have this real quick exchange where he's like hey i've got a great idea and she's like there's no way you're making me cook all this dinner and he's like no 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 i was gonna say raj should cook all the dinner and she's like oh that's great and raj comes over and uh is you know up to the task and i feel like in any other episode he would be getting infinite shit for even having an interest in making, like, a nice side dish. But here, they're like, Raj is the man, and we need him. And are they taking advantage of him? Absolutely. But is he happy to do it? Also, 100%. Not only
1: that, but he, again, in that same weird, like... Racist, but for some reason this time it works. Oh, jokes. yeah, I
0: know. He, yeah, go ahead. He,
1: he turns and he goes, Well, of course, you can't have Thanksgiving without an Indian doing most of the work. And it's like, if anybody else at the table had made that joke, uh, it would have probably not worked. But Raj giving it and giving it with that slick, shit eating, like Top Gun fucking tone that he gives yes, it with.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> <So, laughs> <that's... laughs> Well, and that's another one. You're exactly right. We're like, I forgot about it for a moment, but when that one, it hit me, that was like, you know, like a one, two racism punch where I'm like, no fucking way. Like, but at the same time, yeah, it's just, he, he commits to the bit and um, he totally dragoons and Bernadette and Amy into helping him in the kitchen. And like, you know, they don't, like, throw away the role. They're not, like, shitty about it. They're like, all right, hey, yeah, no, we are Thanksgiving helpers. So the three of them are now a team, and their little group for the rest of the episode is kind of like the background chorus who's just there to, like, listen in and repeat the juicy gossip that is happening, which, uh, again, I think the most plot, like, the most substantive plot part of the episode, which also means the least to me, <laughs> is that Penny... While just kind of like chit chatting around the table as you do at a Thanksgiving, mentions this time. Oh, right, yeah, like this funny time. Oh, actually, it's before they even go to the um, the, yeah, the house.
1: She, just to, if you wondered how it comes up, she when when they first get the invitation, Penny goes, ah, you know that doesn't oh, sound yes. so bad. You can have fun. You know, you'd be amazed at the sort of weird Thanksgiving fun you can have. Like one time for Thanksgiving.
0: Yes. Las Vegas. Yeah, I went to this uh, funny little chapel, and I got fake married. Ha, 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 ha. And everyone else is like, fake married? She's like, yeah, you know, Elvis guy, just me and Zach, and we're real drunk. And they're like, you don't get fake married, Penny. And so that, yeah, what is effectively the A-plot, which I just, again, don't give a shit about, is uh, Leonard is immediately... Like, he's not, I think, outburst, upset, but he's very clearly perturbed. And his goal is like, well, this needs to just immediately get annulled. This is priority number one. I can't believe you did this. He has no sense of humor about it at all. And so Penny is like, what the fuck? Like, I know that I it was a goof. Like, I didn't know until half an hour ago that I was married. What's your problem? You know, like later on, they do try to make. Which letters. can I just can oh, I ahead. just
1: say that I mean there are many numerous implications for this. Not the least is Penny has been committing tax fraud for years because you're required to disclose your marital status on your filing on your tax filings.
0: Oh, but I also believe that fraud requires some proof of intent to defraud, and that her ignorance would be a possible defense here try that
1: shit with the irs see how far it gets you anyway
0: so yeah but that's uh yeah so she had no idea leonard is is very mad and penny is prickly that he is taking it so seriously and so um in what i do think is also kind of a shitty penny move but not petty (laughs) is that she does get a hold of ex-boyfriend Zach, who when they were talking about him, I was like, I don't know which of her fucking boyfriends that is. And I eventually was like, oh God, I hope it's the himbo. And it totally was, uh, because he's great. But the re- the reason he comes up at all is that uh, she does invite him to Thanksgiving to immediately sign the annulment paperwork. And this makes Leonard even angrier, uh, but it also... Uh, like that much more entices the little Raj go- uh gossip triumvirate from the kitchen, Woo! and I think it's goddamn adorable. Yes, and uh, so Zach comes in; he is just one thousand percent himbo. I love him every time he's there because, like, he is so dumb, but he's so nice. Like, he's he's not bullying anyone; he's not mean to the nerds. Like, and I remember I think it was the first episode he was in. If anything, they were bullying him. But every time he shows up, he's a treasure. And, um, yeah, he signs the paperwork. But there are a handful of what I thought were actually pretty good jokes about him, like, uh, you know, like being a little sad that he's been such a terrible husband. And, you know, like, oh, man, Leonard, you're really not being cool about this. I'm not you're sure you're the kind of guy I want dating my wife. Huck, huck, huck. But, you know, I say that shittily now. But I, I laughed. I thought they were really good jokes. And um, so they do null. And this isn't... We're not even to my favorite part of the episode, Kyle. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yes. I also want to say, I mean, again, God damn you for making me praise this episode. But as long as we're in here, there's some real, like, it's like you're right. I hadn't thought about it, but it's just like everyone's firing on all cylinders. There's like a running, there's a joke that Raj fires off about like, um, Amy, your job in this kitchen is to reach the tall things mm-hmm. and keep Bernadette out of the marshmallows. Yes, I see you, Bernadette. And then when the when all of the like drama is breaking down, every time Bernadette runs out to like see them, she just grabs a marshmallow off of the counter.
0: Yeah, it's such a cute little background joke. But like they that they had the the thought to keep it in there and highlight it without it becoming its own plot somehow. Like that oh, was great. And also that like Raj, you know, in spite of his uh, his kitchen. And domestic uh, sensibilities being, you know, what, what you consider a uh, traditionally kind of passive feminine trait. He here is a stern, but um, not uh, harsh taskmaster. And the, the, the like, sly kind of, I don't, like, again, like, stern eyebrows he gives Bernadette uh, about, like, the work she has to do. It's great! I don't know. Like, I, I love that part of it. But... To um, yeah, to get to I think the best part of the episode is that so, um, the whole reason this episode is happening in the first place is because Walowitz is scared of dealing with Cop Dad, and so Cop Dad comes over and he's as gruff as ever, and he's like, "I just want to be alone and watch football and get real drunk on cheap beer," and so that's his goal, and uh, Sheldon uh sits at a recliner near them because. He has nothing better to do. Wallowitz is on instruction from Bernadette to go and keep Dad company and um, this is again like I can't believe how much praise I'm giving this episode, but in spite of Wallowitz always being like the worst, like kind of seeing him struggle to connect with like you know this person that is now a family member but has, like, nothing in common, like, no similar sense of humor, just like this, God damn it! I guess, like, we are bound together by relationship, but this stinks. I'm like, man, I get it. I totally understand those try-hard family interactions, and so I'm like, that to me was, a, like, a realistic element, and then also, um, in addition to that, seeing, like, kind of his frustration as what ends up happening is Sheldon um by accident ends up becoming like best buds with dad because while dad is complaining about some play in the game uh Sheldon spouts off as he does matter-of-factly what the correct play would have been at which point uh the, the cop dad is like Sheldon you uh you know what you're talking about there huh and he's like yeah my dad would make me watch football until uh like, I'd have to watch the whole game before he would allow me to do my homework. Chuckle, chuckle. And so uh, Dad takes strong interest in Sheldon because of the football knowledge. And then uh, Sheldon again, matter-of-factly like, carrying on. Like, So Dad's like, so yeah, I used to watch a lot of the, the games with your dad, huh? And he's like, no, not really. I mean, my dad died when I was 14, uh, which was a real tragedy for the liquor store owner who cried and cried and cried. The cop dad is now like, oh, we are two kindred hurt souls. He's like, did you ever have a beer with your dad? He's like, no. I'm like, he wanted to give me one for my college graduation, but I was 11. He's like, oh, my God, Sheldon. You are now officially my son, and we're going to get drunk together. And then, yeah, uh, enter drunk Sheldon. And um, it's It's fun. Uh, but you know, the sad thing is is that yeah, Wallowitz here is uh all the more crestfallen that not only can he not bond with Bernadette's dad, but Sheldon here is like effortlessly making this a kind of intimate connection at this point. Yes, and,
1: and as we've I mean it doesn't they don't actually play this note too hard, which is great, but Wallowitz famously the most daddy issuesist member yeah. of the
0: well of the that's, gang. That's a, like a joke that I, I unfortunately don't think works is that he kind of tries to horn in on the bonding here and he's like, you know, my dad left when I was really young and that was a big problem for me. And cop dad is like, oh yeah, that sounds rough. Go get us more beer. And so, um, yeah, and he, you know, here's a criticism that I didn't think about at the time because I was too busy having fun, Kyle. But Wallowitz thing about, the bonding never really gets resolved, at least not in a satisfying way. Cause he does go back and complain to Bernadette that like, they don't want me there. And she, in a very like mom, the kids are bullying me like fashion is like, what do you mean? They don't want you there. That's silly. (laughs) It's like, no, like I, nothing in common with him. He doesn't like me. This sucks. And, um, the only way it does get resolved is when they all are finally sitting at dinner. Uh, cop dad like slaps Walowitz on the shoulder and says you know you're not the worst step uh, yeah what stepson or son-in-law i could have and uh he's like yeah thanks i guess and he's like oh no actually he is more thankful he's like oh that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me and he's like yeah well i'm drunk and that's how they resolve that part of it that Walowitz. Yeah, he's he's miserable and also when they the when Sheldon and Dad are drunk together they you know, not too mean spiritedly but do nonetheless playfully bully Wallowitz which does not improve the mood. And so, yeah, like I think I think Wallowitz got kind of robbed, I guess. And also, I feel like I got robbed because again, I was expecting um an actual relationship ending thing and Penny and Leonard their thing to me also doesn't really get satisfactorily resolved because after all the build up about how upset they are once the paperwork is signed they're all kind of like all right well that takes care of it well you know all that shit we just talked about i guess wasn't really that impactful in the feelings that <laughs> Leonard have of uh, of jealousy and knowing that he would uh, Penny would marry someone on a whim and not me, your boyfriend who has uh, been dedicated to you for seven years, regardless of whether you were interested in me. And then she's kind of like, Well, next time, whoever it is I marry, it'll be for love or money. And everyone goes, Ah ha 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 ha. And Leonard just cries inside. <laughs> yeah, that's basically. I, have left I don't know out. that's basically yeah I, that's you basically know the,
1: you you really were all on L cylinders on this episode. you were paying close attention. you captured all the beats.
0: I just uh well, you know there's there's one last thing to get in that I really like though, because I God, fucking every now and then i like I snap back into reality and I'm like, I'm giving this episode effusive praise. this is I definitely have brain worms near the end of the episode, uh, just before they sit down for, or maybe it's after dinner, wherever the fuck it is, they're in the living room. And Sheldon now, you know, pretty toasted. Uh, he, uh, Amy makes him apologize for being kind of shitty to Wolowitz and in in a very un-Sheldon-like fashion, were it not for the fact that he's drunk. He does give an earnest apology and he's like, I've had too much to drink and I've been inappropriate and I'm sorry. And It's like, like what all right jesus wow um and then that is broken a moment later where he gives uh amy a firm slap on the s ass and says now why don't you get us a couple more beers honey and penny for half not penny um amy for half a moment looks stunned and upset and then for like the next five seconds is like slowly followed by the camera mugging as she is, like, so turned on and, like, has to stop and look behind her shoulder as she opens the door. And that was actually... I, I was hoping that this would be where their relationship actually escalated. Like, that would be the big, holy shit moment in the episode. Nah, you don't get that either. But but it seemed like a natural thing. Like, oh, God. You know, like, once Sheldon, you know, is finally through the, the pressure of... um. Spontaneous fatherly bonding, forced to drink alcohol, he loosens up and gets a little horny all of a sudden.
1: I mean, it is just—I think it is part of the slow evolution of his character into not a jerk face, which is, again, yeah, I've talked about it before, but there's this weird like de-Sheldonification of Sheldon that every episode sort of like is trying to push the button a little further on. The only thing—this is a weird. Meta comment, but uh, again, I was watching this with my partner, uh, and we were watching the part where he talks about how his, you know, a recurring, uh, they've made this joke many times, it's a recurring joke on the Big Bang Theory, that uh, Sheldon's dad was kind of a useless drunk who fought constantly with his mom, and that Sheldon would probably remember himself as having an unhappy childhood, were he a person who processed his memories and relationships normally, Yes, but because he's incapable of that, it's just more like something that happened to him and that's something he's traumatized by. But uh, as my partner pointed out, wait, isn't young Sheldon basically a show about how his growing up years were essentially idyllic, except for the fact that he was a little too smart than everyone else. So it's like, I haven't watched any of that show, but yes, I don't think like him having an alcoholic, like borderline non-functional father is a major plot point in that television show. And so I yeah. wonder if they, they, they just start, like, if this is just part of the canon that gets thrown out when they decide to make the prequel.
0: Well, Kyle, you know, I had never once thought about it, but you're absolutely right. Like, I've never once seen, you know, a poster of Black Sheldon where the little kid has a, you know, did I? I meant to I'm say sorry. Black I'm Sh- sorry.
1: Nope. Time out. Time out. Here's why, out. Kyle.
0: Here's why. I meant to say Young Sheldon because I was going to say I've never seen one where he has a black eye. Okay. Which would be the That's drunk fun. father connection. But can, we,
1: can we talk about the black exploitation reboot of the Big Bang Theory, Black, <laughs> black Sheldon? Sheldon? Which is infinitely... Who plays, like, I mean, I guess it would have to be someone young and up and coming who's hip that neither of us would know. But if we could cast ideally anyone, who would you cast as Black Sheldon? Like, you know, is that more like a... You know the obvious choice is uh is the man who played uh Steve Urkel whose name I can never remember,
0: but Wait, uh, so he's a this is adult Sheldon, not young and black. Well,
1: Sheldon. I mean that's the, that's one of the many creative decisions we have to figure out as we before we pitch this to the network is what a, what's what age is Black Sheldon?
0: Yeah, no, so I'm trying to imagine this now as like an early 90s TGIF block family comedy rather than like the network comedy it currently is. I guess it could be as well, I don't know well in any case, I imagine him as being like eighteen, just starting college is where I imagine well, no, that wouldn't make sense because he'd have to be so young i guess where would where would where would genius Sheldon be at eighteen? Is he already a professor at that point in any case the, the age is eighteen at whatever stage of academics he is that's sticking
1: yes and then uh and then the plot revolves around his attempts to, you know, simultaneously get his doctorate and be pu- be the youngest person to ever be published in some fancy magazine while still bagging all the ladies.
0: That would be nice too. If he get occur- a little hornier.
1: Right, it would have to be, right? Uh well, okay, I want to be careful about how I said, but if you want I if if you're imagining a cooler like more fun version of Sheldon, which is the joke of the premise. Anyway, there yeah, was actually I'm, a great I'm concerned
0: sh- about the black nerd erasure that's happening here, but
1: Well there was there was a great show in uh I don't yeah, in my childhood but I don't know when it was if it was being made concurrently or if I was watching something that was made a few years earlier. But it was called Smart Guy and that was basically the plot of that show was a um was you know, a, a normal, you know, middle class Uh, Black family, although I don't think there's a mom. I think it's a single dad and one of his, and his, I think his daughter, who is, who is, you know, hardworking but normal, and then his 10-year-old super genius son, who he has to, you know, figure out how to give, you know, the best opportunities he can to. And so, and that's, the plot of that show mostly revolves around he's like 12, but he's already in high school because he's just that smart.
0: Hmm. Oh, I never heard of it, so that was all new to me.
1: It was, it, it was a great. It was called Smart Guy. I, it was by T J. Maori, who, or I'm sorry, the kid was played by T J. Maori, who I think is the younger brother of Tia and Tamara. Of Tia and Tamara uh, Maori, who had their own show, so it was sort of like an unofficial spinoff of Sister Sister, I think, basically, um, and probably shared. Goddamn family
0: manners. comedy dynasties.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. A, I watched a lot of. Epi- I watched a lot of episodes. It was a good little show. Uh, There's even that one very special episode where he gets drunk and then tries to hide it from his dad, and then his dad tells him something that has actually stuck with me my entire life, which is, son, if you're ever somewhere and you're about to do something and you think to yourself, is this something I'm going to have to lie to my dad about later, then maybe just that's that's your conscience telling you it's not something you should be doing. Which delivered in that very non-judgmental tone by a guy who's probably not, you know, Uh, some weird conservative homophobe is actually a a pretty good life advice
0: trying to think about things that I would feel like I'd have to lie to immediate family members about I think it's only if they were to ask me like weird horny details that I wouldn't be comfortable admitting to but I think other than that I don't know I've committed some crime I'm not ashamed of it which reminds me Kyle anything else about this episode
1: uh no i mean i guess this is going down as one of the best episodes we've ever watched is that just where we landed on this
0: you know this I, i i may have to watch it another time and reevaluate and again just make sure that i don't have some sort of illness i'm experiencing today but yeah for me this is now the high water mark and at the same time for my own mental health i'm not expecting another episode to get close to it nope it's not the one to beat. It's just up there, and I know that we're just gonna spend a whole lot more time just kind of crawling around in the sewer because that's that's what this is. But we we I feel nice to have basked in the sunlight today. So you want to talk about things that we actually like, or in this case, at least with me, things that I also like.
1: I'll go first. Okay. Although it's not a, I can't give like a very strong, rec- but I'll just say I,
0: I'm there this week too. So go ahead.
1: Well, first, I mean, I will start by saying Saw Across the Spider-Verse, great movie, as good as the first one. Suffers from that thing where it's obviously a middle movie now in a trilogy of movies, so it ends on the most blatant cliffhanger imaginable. But other than that, yeah, fantastic. Uh, Completely, like, indescribably awesome and watchable and, you know, all-time classic movie. Um,
0: I was... I was almost angry about the cliffhanger. Like when the credits played, I was like, No, no way. No, no. But then I was like, No, that was still a really good time. <laughs> so
1: Yeah. It's like
0: it it only the only reason it's
1: bad is it sets up a series of exp it's like you're like, Well they pulled this off twice, do I really think they're going to be able to pull this off a third time and follow up on all of these plot threads in a satisfying yeah. manner? But if
0: it's a movie just about Hobie for sure, but we'll <laughs> yeah. see hobie fuck the
1: police (laughs) spider-man
0: yeah yeah (laughs) which oh man yeah it's they they bring in punk rock spider-man and i'm like we'll we'll see if this guy oh no he's great he's great i oh my hesitation immediately melts away
1: (laughs) yeah my favorite thing about that is that like it's not like his punkness is not like a joke like when you well it is a joke but at the beginning it's, it's a just joke like a how sign punky of, he is <laughs> right it's a sign of like actual good and consistent characterization because when you meet him you're like okay we get it this is the this is the punk's poser spider-man who pretends to be like all cool and edgy and you know but is of course insufferable and then by the end you're like oh no this is a man with the serious uh, and a serious and principled commitment to anarchy who is willing to follow through
0: wherever that leads good yeah. for him he just has Happens to be a beautiful, cool as fuck rock star. <laughs> oh, yeah, but he is—he is committed. Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. but he has the heart of a nerdy Spider-Man. The perfect combination. Um, so uh, yeah, um, but no, I was actually I—I I think I. It's weird. I'm doing sort of a, a follow-up, uh, not to a, a recommendation that I've done before, but sort of to shit talking I've done before, which is. Uh, News recently dropped that they're continuing the that they're going to release relatively soon the next chapter of the Final Fantasy mm. remake sequel, and so that got me thinking. You know, it's been a while since I tried to get through that original Final Fantasy uh, seven remake game, and I remember not liking any of it and getting so bored I stopped playing it halfway through. I should just, you know, check in with that. Yeah, see how it's going now. And I gotta tell you still don't have unreserved praise for it it has a lot of problems the the i mean where to be like the entire first i'll just say i
0: feel about the same way you did about it and so and also i've very much i think as we've been talking about it thinking of replaying it myself so this would be very relevant to me
1: well good i'm glad it's relevant to someone listening but um yeah, I mean, the entire first, like, it suffers from many, many problems. It has, like, a battle system that none of the Final Fantasy games have ever used before that is, I think, not well explained or actually even able to be, like, well utilized when it first, like, like is introduced. Like, it's not only a battle system that is um, kind of arcane and incomprehensible at first, um, but it also is one where, like... It encourages you, like, the game is only really fun or playable if you use it a lot, but a lot of the skills that, like, allow you to sort of maximize it don't drop right away, so it feels like a really sort of generic hack-and-slash game for a lot of the first half, which is also where the plot is just being blatantly dragged out. Uh, the
0: longest. Yeah, um, Jesse is now a love interest, and yeah, I mean, and other soldiers. We have to members. find out the
1: yeah. We have to find out everybody's fucking backstory for twelve, minutes. and it's weird because they do all that, and then you they still have basically like you meet Aerith and she's immediately like the the manic pixie love interest who requires no like immediate backstory or rationale for why she is like ride or die for cloud so we get we get to find out that like jesse's dad is you know a victim of shinra machinations and that's why she's like left being an actress to become a terrorist but Aerith, it's just like ah she's the cute mysterious flower girl uh We'll explain all of that eventually, but the one thing we will never explain is why she meets Cloud, and five seconds later, Cloud is like, "You know, you are my baby, Yoda. I will die for you, and you will you know follow me to the ends of the earth, but whatever, all of that is just to say uh, uh, so even I can say it's because she's a babe. can I tell you something this is this goes all the way back to the original Final Fantasy, and I had forgotten seven the original Final Fantasy seven, I had forgotten about it until I was playing this game again. But I never got the thing with Aerith, and I think that's because I thought she had giant elf ears in the original game, which I only now in retrospect realize was just the way her bow tie or her. Uh, she's the, got a
0: ribbon in her hair.
1: Yeah, she's got a giant bow in her hair. But in the original game, it's blocky 3D textures. They only give you like one look in a cutscene at what she's supposed to actually look like or if you're looking at the box art. So if you're not paying attention to any of that and you just encounter this character organically, she just has these two big pink things sticking out of the side of her ears. And I genuinely thought, based on her powers and backstory, that she was some kind of elf woman who had comically large like rabbit lobes jutting out of the side of her face and never understood why no one ever talked about it or brought it up.
0: Um, I have two things I have to say about that. One, yes? Kyle, I have never heard anyone ever interpret those as big ears, and I'm not saying you can't, but this was this is pretty Kyle-centric interpretation here. And then number two, I can't believe that if she had these big old ears you're talking about, that she'd be any less of a babe. That's that's what is a bridge too far would be the big ears
1: i mean they look like just go back and look at her original character model even actually in the cutscenes, she just because she has wow, bangs, you, you can try cover. to sell
0: me on this but i mean they i played this like game like a like dozen pig times ears,
1: porco Roso like pig ears um, they still actually kind of look like that in the new game it's just that you can also see her earlobes occasionally behind her hair so you know that those are not in fact her ears coming out um, otherwise I think I would still probably be slightly confused. That's maybe that's just going to be my go-to interpretation is that's actually, those are, those are, that's her ears coming out of the back of her head. I don't care these, she has, she has these little fake prosthetic lobes that she wears. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, this game, finally, I feel like you know, <laughs> after, after like playing it for like 18 hours and going through like, two layers of, like, the bullshit while we felt like this game should have more side quest stuff, so we included a lot of time-padding side quests. You finally get to Wall City, and then, yes, there are more bullshit time-padding side quests to get to the part that... But there are a couple of things that happen in Wall City that finally, like, make the game click as not, like, an instant masterpiece, but just, like, something that's kind of fun and more on par with, like, the tone I want from a Final Fantasy game, which is... You uh, you have to fight in a coliseum, of course, to raise money for arbitrary plot-related reasons. Mm-hmm. And you go through a bunch of normal, basically normal, like, coliseum-style battles against, like, mon- you know, monsters, minions, robots, whatever. But then the final big first coliseum boss fight is against a giant spooky robot haunted house. Which I know is, again, just a callback to the original Final Fantasy VII game. But again, that game, it, it didn't actually seem, you know, because it's a game of, like, 2D blocky... It didn't seem that weird at the time that you were fighting a big floating house, but now you actually, like, someone had to put in the work of being like, wait, how is there... How are you fighting, like, a house? What's going on with that? And it's like, well, it has rockets in the back that allow it to fire itself around on verniers, and it has, like, missile launchers and a giant turtle head and arms that pop out on occasion to crush you and it changes its element alignment every like 30 seconds so you have to be constantly paying attention or you'll hit it with the wrong element and it'll just heal instead of getting stunned the way you want it to and all of that was like around the time that i was like desperately running around the coliseum trying to like uh figure out how to fucking uh you know nuke this giant flying house robot i was like okay this is more of the fun I was expecting, and then immediately after that, apparently your fight against the robot house is so so good that you win the heart of the of the beloved celebrity drag queen gangster who like runs half the town and he initiates you uh, into the mysteries of drag, but only after an incredibly elaborate choreographed cutscene. Uh, dance sequence in which Cloud reveals that however stuck up he might be on the inside, uh, he still knows how to dance with his heart.
0: And
1: and, uh, yeah, and so like those two things back to back did a lot for me and then so now I've gotten to the part like and then after that you do the whole Don corneo subplot from the original game and you go through the sewers and then there's a haunted train level which i don't recall there being a haunted train level actually i remember there being a train yard but i don't recall you having to do a thing with like trains and like fight ghosts the train final fantasy 7
0: the the common enemy in that area is ghosts and there's also like this kind of like rare encounter demon carriage thing but um because you can theoretically walk straight through that area without any encounters yeah it's not obviously a ghost area
1: <laughs> yeah okay well that makes so in this you know again i think a lot of this is just like taking little bits of like tiny easter eggs from the first game and just beating them to death but it works i mean this one worked for me because you sort of you you go through a ghost train level which is itself sort of a great call back to the thematics of the Final Fantasy games generally, where you you know, in Final Fantasy VI there's a famous like ghost train area. In fact, is that I wonder if that's why never mind. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna fall down that rabbit hole in my brain. But yeah, so you there's a ghost the
0: ghost train to the end of the line.
1: Yeah. There's a there's a ghost train fight and, uh, and the whole thing is thematically subcoded to be about like, you know, Aerith isolation and l- both. It emphasizes her spiritual connections that she can talk and communicate and have empathy with ghosts. And then also gives you a cute little flashback to when she was a kid and she felt abandoned. And, you know, so, you know, you're basically, you get a little glimpse of her inner child as you're helping exercise all of these ghosts and destroy the demon of the train yard. Um, so all of that is just to say, and by that point, yeah, I had finally mastered the combat system enough to be like, okay, this is pretty uh, pretty fun and satisfying when you get the hang of it and you figure out how to use the various abilities to fill the stack or gauge and, you know, optimize your character's materia so that they are actually fulfilling different roles on the team and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, I I still can't unequivocally recommend it. I'm not to the end. There could be another there could this could easily be a game that just hits you with another long, boring, drawn-out slog, uh, you know, in the last, you know, 10 hours of the game, but uh it gets a lot better. It gets good enough for me to actually be interested in this franchise going forward and to be, you know, more excited about the new Final Fantasy game that just came out that apparently has a very similar combat uh combat system
0: yeah I still remain cautiously optimistic much as I am about Final Fantasy 16 where the consensus seems to be this is a really good game except the story kind of sucks and it's no longer an RPG so we'll see how that one goes too but ah these Final Fantasy games they're they've got away a way of digging into your heart and then square just gets to take advantage of you for the rest of your goddamn life
1: that's true you know they've announced i think that they're or i don't know if announced is right but there are rumors that they're going to do a final fantasy 9 remake now after final fantasy 7 and that's going to be that's going to be a real reckoning moment for me because that's the one that actually lives deep in my heart so
0: well they just have to increase the uh Animation and general combat speed by four hundred percent, and then that game will go. But how up. are
1: that like again? Part of the appeal of that game is that it went back to sort of like the more hokey, like bit small body, big head. So like, if the first thing they do is try to redesign all the characters so that they're like normal proportioned, it's going to break my whole brain.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like that's something where this is just like a a side thing where, as as someone who is you know you're you're not that much. Uh, We're not that too different in age, but like growing up alongside video games and seeing how, you know, there was initially most games were, you know, two dimensional and you just kind of had improvement in art and color palettes. And then there was this real push for 3D, which kind of went back to a more rudimentary art style to accommodate the limited technology, but then gets more and more complicated. It's something that I've always been kind of disappointed by is that. Uh, the abandonment of like two D video games because I'm like, well, now like you could really do like whatever you wanted uh, if you weren't so insistent on having something be three dimensional. And so, just you know, for instance, if they were to do in Final Fantasy IX wouldn't be right, but uh, like to to not make it a more realistic art style. <laughs> But you know, lean into the art style that was already there, and just I don't know. Yeah, I mean, one up. of my
1: one of my favorite game critics, and I think a lot of game people in general talk about this, which is that like the the best Zelda game, the ga- Zelda games that hold up the most in terms of graphics are all of the 2D ones and Wind Waker, because yes. those are the ones that like. Wind Waker in particular is the only 3D Zelda game that doesn't look like but in retrospect, because they were going for a deliberate vibe that they didn't want to. Uh, I mean, I guess Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild are still so new that they look generally fine anyway. And but yeah, meant, but like Wind Waker like has a perennial like good graphical sensibility because it wasn't trying to be like at like the fully fineliest yeah. 3D thing.
0: Which is, like, ironic justice, because I think a lot of people complained about the art style when it came out. Um, but yeah, no, it is withstood. And also, I think the reason I was so focused on, like, the 2D part of there for a second was uh, the articles I've been reading about a, po- a possible Final Fantasy remake were uh, there is not a 6 remake in the works, but apparently, like, staff at Square Enix have been like, yo, when when do, when do we get to make a 6 remake? Come on, let us do it, let us do it.
1: Oh, uh, so they want, they're like we know which one is the best Final Fantasy game. It's our turn. Let us do let us do Kefka.
0: Yeah, and so I think, I was I was kind of going into the the ether there with my anxiety about that getting some sort of weird janky 3D update, which ugh. anywho, and you know if they could do it tastefully, that'd be fine. I just I don't want some like wacky upscaled generic looking bullshit but
1: yeah and that is what like everybody was all talking about how like i remember everybody's mind was blown by like how good final fantasy 7 remake looked when it came out but it's only like a couple years late and there's nothing wrong with like i'm not giving it shit i'm just saying like everybody looks like kind of very generic has like very generic doll faces most of yeah. the time like the actual animations look good like the the movement of like the monsters and things and the like limit breaks and stuff is all really cool. But in terms of like does Cloud's facial expressions like properly or better reflect like his angst or happiness or whatever? No. He just looks like a very, very, like, pretty doll who right. who like occasionally like his cheeks twitch slightly.
0: Well, and you just reminded me something that like really kind of annoyed me, which was a couple of years ago I was trying to mess around with some different um, Final Fantasy VII, like, OG game mods on the PC. And a lot of those were graphics mods. And I remember there was this one that was, like, really elaborate. And I was reading through the description. And it's like, you know, things like the lower polygon SD models are now updated to be high-res modern polygonal models that are no longer limited by the technical constraints that the artists were working under the time and so more likely better match their intent had they not been under those limitations and i'm like nah that's bullshit <laughs> it's like no that the way it looked is the way it's supposed to look you know like if if there are glitches or whatever that you can fix sure but you no, know, taking an art style that was updated 20 years later and then retroactively applying it because you think it looks better does not mean that the original game looked wrong or bad and ugh. Harumph.
1: Harumph indeed. Yeah, this is actually, so again, one of my uh, video game, and then we'll stop talking about because this is not actually a video game podcast, but... um, (laughs) But uh, I was listening to a video game guy and he was like, you know, what if instead of his basically his argument was like, what if we devoted like some of the resources we devote to uh, graphics? Just like anything else, like, you know, physics puzzle, like imagine all of the other cool things that you could have so much more like detail and fidelity to and like fun, weird systems in a game. You know, like one of his is just the number of enemies on screen. He's like, imagine how many more enemies you could like fight on screen at one time if they didn't all have to be like incredibly delicately like detailed renders. And he's like, which is more fun? Like fighting like four like elaborately detailed like dire rats or fighting like ten thousand goblins who all kinda look like butt.
0: Well that's like the first time I played Dynasty Warriors Two and it was graphically impressive because it was an early PS two game. But at the same time, their focus was on having you fight like thirty guys at a time, and not having like five of the best looking guys you could have, and it felt incredible to like fight so many things on screen at once. And yeah, to think that I don't know, I haven't felt something like that in a video game since. You know, a part of that is just the numbness that comes with age. But yeah, there's been such a a focus on graphical fidelity or whatever. And I remember watching this Donkey video where like it was a joke but it made a good point where he was pointing at the um the Witcher 3 up uh up, um update uh HD remake or whatever and you know he's presenting this footage and he's like oh look at the lighting and the water textures and oh look at all the work they've done oh except that's footage from the first one here let me put this filter from the <laughs> other one. Oh, it looks about the same doesn't it because you know, these, these things could become a thousand percent more detailed, but we're at such a point with like graphics that, you know. Yeah. It's
1: symbol. I mean, there's symbols, right? Like all you really like graphics are just a symbol for the story that's going on. So it's like, I need to know it's a horse. I need to know it's a person. And then like, you know, after a certain point,
0: is it cool that I can see individual strands of hair on a head? I guess that's not what I need.
1: Yeah, it's like no one, no one, when they're reading a comic book, is like, you know, it would make this better if this were disturbingly realistic. If the, if this, if like all of the characters were replaced by photo images of themselves.
0: Oh god, that would be. So, oh, that's a game. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, you know what? I feel like that was almost enough of a recommendation for both of us, but I will just throw out what. What I was thinking real quick. Oh, shit, yeah,
1: you never gave your recommendation.
0: (laughs) No, well, I'm going to be real, real quick about it, because, like, I had a hard time thinking of a specific thing I wanted to recommend. I started watching Yojimbo last night, which isn't the first time I've seen it. Well, you make that breath, and here's the thing. I watched the first 20 minutes of it, and I was like, man, this kicks ass. Ah, wow, what a, like, good, funny like, well-shot, well-lit, distinctive movie. I'm pretty tired, though. And so that's how that ended. And so I can't re-recommend it just because I didn't watch all of it, but, I mean, it does kick ass. And even the first 20 minutes, I was like, no, I'm gonna... This is something I gotta take care of today, and I still would recommend. And so what I'm actually gonna recommend is something just very broad. And to to link back to, to the man Hobie, I'm gonna recommend, um... Like, punk rock! But specifically, like kind of the late 70s early 80s era and the reason for that is because um so in my teens uh pop punk was a force like i think i was like 15 or 16 when like blink 182 for instance went from being like kind of the, the most listenable of the real, like, punk bands to the most obvious of, like, the fabricated pop punk bands and how, you know, they were the the leader of the pack and the, the move was to emulate them as much and all of this was being sold as punk. And if, so it has this anti-authoritarian sheen on it, but it's also, like... The most commercial thing possible, and like, so I grew up like being told and believing that this is what punk rock was, and enjoying it to some degree, but also like, I don't at some point outgrowing it and being like, ah, it's just artificial bullshit. Like it's, yeah, they're they're selling you on this, you know, rebellious lifestyle, but there is zero commitment and really like. They're just trying to sing songs about breaking up to teens that are gonna buy it, and i I was you know for the most part one of those teens, and so it wasn't until into my adulthood when I was fully accepted and I was bitter and snarly that I think not even intentionally but kind of like going backwards listening to like the kind of like goth rock I was into uh that its stealth it stealth itself ultimately stems from like, the punk movement, and when I started, when I finally got back to that and started listening, then I was like, oh, shit, no, this rules. Like, the stuff that I thought was punk when I was a kid, yeah, was just a product, like, that was trying to mimic this, but, like, the source is the good shit, and, um, for instance, the thing that really has me thinking about this is I was, like, watching Nina Hagen videos the other day, and, um, her music Is it the most listenable? I'm going to say not really. No. And that's because she has three different voices that she shifts between, which are operatic singing, just outright screaming, which she can do well, and then doing a scary monster voice where she sings mostly like this. And um, so, yeah, it's pretty weird, and it's ugly and strange, but that is what I like about it, because... I think going back and like what I've really connected with with this broader genre of music is that um it's not cute. Like if anything, it is a celebration of being kind of like raw and ugly and broken and just being like, But that's me, what are you gonna do? And um something that I really liked um was for instance the band Fear. They are just like so mean and cynical and aggressive and I remember, like, when I was still living in LA, like, strutting around listening to them. And, like, specifically the song, I Love Living in the City, which isn't about how great the city is. It's about, like, no, it's a dangerous, filthy, horrible place where you literally watch people die on the street in front of you. But what, are you going to go live in the fucking suburbs with those idiots? No, this place rules. And so um, just that attitude of, like, we're not trying to pretend that we are, like... The cleaner, nicer, prettier than we are, but like no like we're we're gross, and it rules, and uh for whatever reason, I really connect with that, so um, and yeah, I would recommend as examples as I mentioned, watching just any Nina Hagen thing, also she's German, so everything's in German <laughs> and just kinda of like letting that wash over you, and then yeah, moving on to things like fear and like I think you know the 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 grandfather of like american punk is like uh iggy pop like listening to like that old shit and just wallowing around in all of that because um it's it's a nice time if if you like fast aggressive music if that kind of stuff just stresses you out like there's definitely uh examples within the genre that are going to fit you just fine but yeah overall, you've got to get used to like some some harsh, fast stuff, but and even I will say when I first listened, I thought a lot of it just sounded like goddamned noise, but you know then then once you once you accept that you're drowning, you just kind of start breathing the water, man. So yeah, that's my thing this week. That. that reminds me
1: of another oh. recommendation. Have you ever seen uh, Have you ever seen the movie Green Room?
0: Oh, Kyle, I watched that again just like two weeks ago. Because yeah, just as, long I, as
1: we're talking about punk.
0: Yeah, is that going to be mutual? Last second recommend.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. It sort of dubbed it good movie. I was also going to say after you watch Yojimbo, you have to watch Shanjiro, 'cause because that's actually the better. One. I mean, that I have not great. seen so well. So basically, it's Yojimbo Part 2, and it's a much—I mean, Yojimbo's good. Sandro's just an outstanding, I think, much better movie, even though I really like Yojimbo. So watch them both back-to-back if you have time. Uh, But then, yeah, Green Room, which is just uh, quick—it's about a a young, aspiring band of punk teenagers who are on the road, and they decide to play a punk show at a very punk club— Uh, not really a spoiler alert because I I think this isn't too big of a spoiler alert. It's a Nazi club, neo Nazis, which uh, uh, and so and yeah, and the 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 they get in trouble almost immediately because they see some stuff in the club that they're not supposed to see. So it's a nice, great plot, claustrophobic plot. You, You feel for the characters and you're worried about them, and the bad, the leader of the evil gang of neo Nazi, uh, punks is patrick stewart which is just and he's great he's incredible
0: and also it is i do not think it is strictly a horror movie like a traditionally so but it's it's a horror movie it's it the violence in it is i wouldn't necessarily say um gratuitous but it is frank and it is graphic and so um you're not seeing things happen just because it's like an over-the-top fun thing, like in an old slasher movie, it's pretty like upsetting. Like, wow, they really fucked that guy up. Kind of imagery. So, but again, like that's just, just like a warning for the those of like softer stomachs. But it's absolutely an excellent movie, and I, yeah, I was very happy to revisit it, and I think it left an impression on the friends I was watching it with. <laughs>